Are you ready to make 2017 the year you transform your life? You can wait for something to happen, or you're actually going to decide to go, go home after this weekend to do something about that. We all know that we have a very, very limited amount of time on this earth. So let's not have repeated years. Live your own life. Make the choice, make the decision for your own life. Fear is where you develop courage. There's a moment going, holy crap, all right, I'm gonna do this now. The Wellness Breakthrough is coming. And so you actually have that choice every single morning, every single day, every single moment to decide whether you're gonna live it to the fullest or not. Join myself, Marcus Pierce, and the Wellness Guys, Damien Christoph, Lawrence Tam, and Brett Hill for two nights and three days of transformation at the Country Place. Ten acres of breathtaking rainforest in the Dandenong Ranges of Victoria, February 17th to 19th. It's each and every single one of you are going to support each other in your journey, whatever that journey is. Couples discounts available, limited spots remaining for all information and to watch the spine-chilling video, go to thewellnessbreakthrough.com. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to a place of wellness and healing for both your body and mind. Get ready to live a happy, healthy, whole food life that totally rocks. You're listening to Shiny Healthy You, the straight-talking natural health show for busy women with your host and naturopath, Jules Galloway. Today's guest has an amazing superpower. She can put together a meal from ingredients that she finds lying around her own neighborhood. In a hunter-gatherer context, this chick has nailed the gathering part. We first became friends after hanging around the paleo and the health blogging scene and we bonded over our love of healthy food. Together with her partner, Clint, they formed Primal Influence, a health, fitness and food coaching business on the Sunshine Coast in Australia. They're all about the natural movement, natural foods and, well, just getting back to nature in general. Their camping retreats are legendary, as are their cooking skills, but today we are all about the foraging. So let's get into it. Please welcome to Shiny Healthy You, the amazing Amy Clark. Woohoo! Hello. Ooh, hi, hi, Jules. Thanks for having me. <laughs> oh, thanks for coming today because this is going to be really fun because I haven't met anyone quite like you before in terms of this whole foraging thing. So tell me a little bit about what you do and how you got known for this. Well, it only started about six months ago, um, being into the paleo lifestyle for about four or five years now. It was it was something I'd heard a lot about, you know, getting more primal and back to nature includes what our ancestors did, which was find their own food. Some people joke and say, well, paleo, you can't be paleo if you're not gathering your own food if you're buying it from the shops. Um, paleo if you've got a hundred yeah. calendar. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but I try and leave paleo for a modern time. So I'm not a caveman, but I like to incorporate elements of how our ancestors lived uh, into the modern time. Um, and part of that for me was always an interest in maybe finding my own food. And that 
first started with bugs. I did a bug hunt one day, which was really fun, but hard work. Uh, trying, to, <laughs> trying to catch animals that are moving is a lot harder than picking a leaf off a plant that's staying still. Uh, so <laughs> that was my first attempt. Um, and I've always liked fishing and, you know, I wish I could hunt animals. That's something on my bucket list and Clint really wants to get into hunting. But uh, I think the foraging for plant food idea was always there. And bush bush foods is kind of getting really big in Australia. And there's a lot of Indigenous people trying to get back to their roots with using bush tucker and bush foods. Uh, and then I always knew that you could also find non-native foods out there that are highly medicinal, highly useful uh, and in abundance. So I eventually got into it and started researching. I found out there was a chef on the Sunshine Coast who was doing it. Um, he worked at Noma when it was up in Sydney um, from overseas. So that was kind of what started me going, oh, you know what, I can do it. If he's doing it, I can do it. I live here. There's plenty around. So I started researching, um, looking at his photos of what he'd been finding because he'd already learned so much through the Noma experience. And I just did so much Googling because I don't, I never wanted to pick something and eat it if I wasn't 100% sure it was safe um, because there's so many plants that look similar to others that aren't edible and, you know, the whole don't eat that red berry thing, it's going to be toxic. Well, that can be true. So lots of lots of research, lots of getting photos to identify. And then when I was sure about certain plants, I would I just went out and started looking for them and some I was like, hey, that's in my backyard and, hey, that one's down the road. I've passed that every day for the last, you know, five years. I didn't know I could eat that until today and just started doing it. So, yeah, about six months ago, I think. Wow. So did so are you completely self-taught or have you done courses as well as all the Googling? No courses, just self-taught. Um, there isn't a great deal of information on the internet because – you know, I mean, we get our vegetables and fruit and herbs and spices from the shops. It's all a regulated system where it's farmed and it's systemized and, you know, we pay someone for it and people have insurance and permits and it's all above board, whereas going out into the wild and finding your own food is kind of up to you to, to be responsible for what you're doing. It's not under anybody uh, and there's no governing body for that sort of thing. So there's no courses available unless somebody decides they want to just teach somebody else what they know. Um, and now I run those. But in terms of learning, I'm just constantly researching, trying to find the scientific names for plants so I can then research accurately uh, and lots of conversations with people who are into it, people who are in other states that do it in Australia, um, people in other countries because some of the plants in other countries are now here uh, in the wild. So, yeah, just lots and lots and lots of research. Um, I don't know if it'll ever get big enough that there will be proper courses. Um, maybe bush food. I think bush foods, native foods is a more safer and uh, I guess, I know, ideal thing to learn for a lot of people in this country as opposed to just wild weeds. Um, but, yeah, no, just mostly researching and chatting to people and, yeah, that's about it. Oh, that's that's actually amazing. It's that's really really cool. I love this. This, this really appeals to my inner hunter gatherer. Like there's a part of me that always just loved looking at what everyone's growing. And uh, even when James and I lived in Melbourne, 
uh, you know, we were in a city, Melbourne, as well. We used to go and, and pick the street food, which was at that time just the, you know, people's figs that were hanging over mm-hmm. in laneways and things. But And yeah. I, I'd just like to stress to our listeners at this point that I've been to your house and you don't live out in the middle of nowhere. Like, mm. you live in, like, a nice, normal area with footpaths yeah. and blocks of Very food. urban. Yeah, it's very urban. So, you know, anyone can do this, can't they? Absolutely, absolutely. There's, I mean, there's courses, just from memory, there's a few courses around that I've seen that are, you know, how to find medicinal weeds because weeds, weeds are a big one. There's a lot of introduced species of plants that are technically classed as weeds but they're useful for our health and um, adding to our meals. So there are a few things around but it's a very, it's a contrast between foods that are medicinal and some that are just not really all that nutrient value valuable but still there and still handy to put in your meals sometimes. So there's a lot of elements to it. Some people are really into the natives and that's just what they're passionate about. One of my friends where we host our retreat that you mentioned before is super passionate about just natives and then other people are just I want to know what nutritional weeds are out there so I can make medicines out of them. And then you've got me who's just kind of floating between all elements where I just love the idea of walking out my door, not not to my garden where I've grown something, but to where there is just a plant growing naturally and I can pick it and I can eat it. I just find that incredibly empowering and fascinating. Um, so some things I eat are just, man, there's no real nutritional value. And then other things are great for teas and like arthritis and all sorts of health complaints. So yeah, there's a lot. So whether you've, you've got a passion for natives or you've got a passion for medicinal plants, there's something there for everyone, most definitely. Yeah, and I love what you said about the weeds because um, as you know, I'm qualified in herbal medicine for mm. my naturopathy uh, degree. And they in Melbourne, I haven't seen anyone up here in Byron doing them, but in Melbourne there used to be some people who used to do something called weed walks where you'd walk mm-hmm. around the suburbs and they'd point out what all the medicines were. And half the time there's stuff that people are just spraying for, like, you know, mm. people are shocked. Like, you know, it's like dandelion. Oh, yeah, dandelion. Yeah, you use the root for this. You use the leaf for this other thing. Mm-hmm. And, like stuff that we step on in cracks on the footpath, like there's literally medicine in those most yeah it's it's phenomenal just when you start learning you can't turn back once you start understanding some of the plants and you're walking around the street literally you're walking past dozens of just grasses and and mostly green things it's mostly you know most plants are green so it's mostly green leaves and um and vines and creepers and things that get in the way of people's pretty lawns, uh, you know, their nice perfect grass. It's the things that they pull out or they spray, they're trying to get rid of. And some things grow like absolutely crazy and they are a challenge for gardeners to keep them out of, you know, their pretty-looking gardens if that's what they're going for, aesthetics. But you just can't ignore when you're walking down the street all the plants that you can now see are edible and they're either getting sprayed or mowed or pulled out and you think, wow, if just more people knew, it would be, they could just be a bit more useful. Like it, it would be, it might be a case of then maybe not spraying because you understand that it's edible. It doesn't mean you might go into eating it every day. I certainly don't eat this stuff every day. It's not, it's not, there's a few reasons for that, which I can get into later, but even just the awareness of, hey, that's food around me on the ground. So instead of spraying it or getting rid of it or burning it or whatever it is, hey, maybe that's useful for somebody or maybe that's useful for me sometimes. It just 
changes your perspective on what's around you, which I think is a really important aspect that, and I try and explain that to people. It's, yeah, there's a, there's that way of looking at it that I wish more people who had gardens would understand. So I'm hoping it does get more popular for that reason, um, just even for the people's own gardens, not necessarily using chemicals all the time to get rid of something that's useful. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really good point. And it, it is sad that some of the most medicinal plants are not the prettiest plants, so people yeah. tend to pull them out and go, ooh, that's unsightly, get that out. Yeah, and some of them are taking over um, our natives. Like, you know, I'm walking along the coast, I live on the Sunshine Coast, I live near the beaches. I can see in the dunes a lot of the plants that I can eat are introduced and you can you can almost tell when they're introduced species because they don't look right they look like they're taking over or could take over by the way that they creep really quickly and grab onto other plants really quickly and suffocate them and you can see why they look and are treated as a bad plant or need to be maintained really well by the council but you know that so that's I get that you know some things just grow absolutely crazy I've there's one edible that is in my I you've seen my paved courtyard. There's not a bit of grass, but in the cracks, there's this one that keeps popping up. Before I knew it was edible, I was ripping it out, like, stop jumping up in my cracks. That's that's where I just want no plants. You know, I just want the plants in the garden area, in my garden beds, and I'd rip it out and it just kept coming back and back. And now I understand why, and it is an introduced species. But now I can leave it there and know that I can make a tea out of it instead. So it's just changed my, my perspective on what's, what what is a weed? Because the word weed has such a bad reputation. If it's a weed, it's bad. Get rid of it, basically. But that is just not the whole truth, uh, and it's not the whole way to look at it. So it'd be really good if more people just understood that something that's a bit noxious can actually be managed a bit better if we're pulling it out to use it for medicinal purposes or edible purposes, not just getting rid of it. That would just be, yeah, really cool if more people did that. Yeah, instead of just spraying the shit out of it, mm-hmm. why don't we pull it out and use it? Yes, exactly. It would just be such a better, um, I guess, I guess scenario in, in so many ways. Less chemical, more eating, free, free food, uh, more understanding and knowledge around what we're eating, which is always important. Yeah, there's so many benefits to that. So I'm always spreading that message. Yeah. Nice. So take me through some of the foods that lie on your doorstep. Like you mentioned both native and not native. What would be Mm -hmm. some of your favourites from either of those categories? So I'm really into the coastal edibles, which is uh, a lot of greens and fruits and berries that are just coastal plants that live in the dunes and the sand. They need the sea uh, salty air and the the tides and that sort of thing to grow and they some of them hold the dunes together and that sort of thing and you know about half of them are natives and half of them aren't and they all look kind of similar and um there's just there's some really cool flavors that aren't necessarily nutritional but just really yum to eat <laughs> so one of the most popular foods to forage for that is native which a lot of people have heard of is warrigal greens or sea spinach so it's a plant that at the moment it's growing quite well up here and it just looks like a type of spinach but it's it's so much hardier than the spinach you get at the supermarket it's it's a wild and coastal variety so it's really tough against the elements but if you pick it and leave it in the fridge, it will wilt in a couple of days because it needs its natural environment to thrive or just be eaten really quickly. 
Um, but it's pretty versatile. You just use it like normal spinach. So last night I cooked it up with uh, a couple other things that I found and some broccoli just in some ghee and salt, and it just wilted down like you would put your baby spinach in a pan. That was really nice. It doesn't have a lot of flavor, but you can use it just as you would spinach. So that one's a really cool one. A lot of people like finding that one. Um, Is that native? That's native, yeah. That's, that's yeah, native to Australia. Uh, some are like variations of a plant from another country, but then it's classed as native in Australia. So it's really interesting when you start learning about the origins. There might be a, a, an overall umbrella species and then there's lots of variations under it and some are Australian and some aren't. So it's really interesting. It's nice to know which are native because then you do want to look after those because our ecosystem really needs those and, and not pick too many. That's that's another thing is not to overpick because that's not paleo really is to eat what we don't need. Uh, and if something's not really in abundance and we're out eating it and it's native, well, we're going to harm the ecosystem. So that one, when it's in abundance, I like to pick a few more leaves. And then when it's like less of it growing at certain times of the year, I'll only just maybe pick a couple. So I'm mindful of that. Uh, there's one, one of my, I always say one of my favorites, but they're all one of my favorites. First, <laughs> I'm saying that. Uh, there's one called, sea rocket or sea mustard I, it's more commonly known as sea rocket but i like to call it sea mustard because it tastes like mustard and it grows right on the beaches it grows right where everyone is walking past to find a nice spot to sunbake and right at the end of the dunes before there's just sand and then water and it is just so awesome you pick the tiniest bit and eat it and it is just this big hit of mustard and it's it's but it's a unique mustard so it doesn't taste like Dijon it just tastes like its own kind of mustard and it's great for pestos and sauces and throwing in salads and and it's a gorgeous plant and when when it's flowering it's just covered in all these beautiful little purple flowers it's actually quite pretty to look at uh, and that's another one of my favorites um and then another really great one which I love to find when I'm just at the beach is um a native called pig face i don't know why it's called pig face it doesn't look anything like any part of a pig but that's what it's like so that one's um grown ornamentally and the ones that i've seen are planted on purpose to make them look make gardens look nice they don't fruit i've never seen a fruit and they look very different than the variation that's more wild and natural and that's the one that's growing at the beaches and after the flower ends a little bit of fruit pops up so it's a really big beautiful purple flower it's absolutely stunning like really fluoro kind of purple and then when it finishes it's a fruit and you just pick it off and squeeze the inner into your mouth and it tastes like salty strawberry it's really really unique nothing else tastes like it it's just so special and i think it's delicious a lot of people try it for the first time and go i don't know if i really like that but they're just so not used to that flavor and then they try it again and go oh yeah i'm really liking that now um because your palate evolves you know as you try new things and and it's just i don't really pick that one to take it home and do anything with because it's there are so few fruits that and they're so the actual bit that you can eat in the middle is so tiny that you just just better off eating a few while you're at the beach uh and that's it there's nothing much you can do with it so i just use that in its natural form i'm at the beach i go looking in the dunes pick a couple of fruit eat them and that's my snack and I just absolutely love that you can't get any more primal than that you know and not you can't get fresher than that and it's yeah that's one of my one of my favorites I've got to stop saying that <laughs>
<laughs> They're all my favorites. They're all my favorites. I don't dislike any of them or I wouldn't pick them. <laughs> yeah. So they're all the natives, right? Yeah, I think that uh, – I'm not sure if the mustard is native. I forget after a while if that one's native. But, um, yeah, some of them are so similar I just forget if they're actually native or not, but I can easily find out. Um, and then there are things like figs that grow. Everyone's heard of Morton Bay fig and the Port Jackson figs that are really common on the east coast of Australia. Their figs are actually edible. People don't know this, but they're not – promoted as edible because they don't taste that great they're not like the turkish figs you buy in the store which are mega sweet which i love by the way they are dry and bland and seedy but there are ways to use them and that's what our ancestors ate they didn't rely on sweet foods there wasn't a lot of sweet food around it's all been modified to become sweeter over the years and a, a, a native fig picked off the tree is just nothing like a fig you would buy in the shop so it's fun to sort of play around with different flavors and think this is what my ancestors would have eaten and they wouldn't have gone, oh, that's not sweet enough, put some honey in there. You know, they just would have enjoyed it because they would have actually tasted the sweetness that is in there because it is a fruit. Um, so they're great to dry out and just use as you would little dried figs in your cereal or, you know, your, your fruit and nut mixes or something like that. So there's where I am now, they're about to start ripening up there's a tree that I walk past to go for my walks and there's little fig fruit all over it and so once they're ripened just about to fall off you get the ones that the bats haven't gotten yet and you can you can try those so that's that's a native um and that, that's a coat more of a coastal one and then in the hinterland there's another native fig which apparently is the nicest of the native figs which I haven't yet tried because it's only just brooding now and it's called sandpaper fig so the leaves actually feel like sandpaper and were used as sandpaper by the aborigines and the figs um once they're really really purple they're ready to eat and i cannot wait to go out and start trying some very soon (laughs) i'm dying for that one that'll be my new favorite (laughs) get some sandpaper while you're at it yeah, exactly. I'm definitely doing that because Clint's always losing his little bits of sandpaper that he buys for home handyman jobs and why not get some natural? I might dry them out and see if they last as sandpaper. Who knows? <laughs> Free sandpaper. All right. What about non-natives? There's a lot of non-natives. There's, you know, weeds, I guess. So um, I don't delve too much into that because a lot of the ones that are not native and have medicinal and nutritional properties – can be overused by people you know a lot of people are so into herbs that they could easily overdo them especially a new one like one that they've never eaten before from from the wild that's so high in its original nutrients that the body can't necessarily process it very well it's like eating something the body is not used to might take some time to get to get used to so that the gut might have some issues with it and you know, there's some of them are so high in certain nutrients that you've just got to be careful it doesn't conflict with medication that you're taking and supplements and other foods that you're eating. Some plants eaten in excess, some of the ones that I forage for, if you eat too much of them, they'll actually become toxic in your body and stop your gut from absorbing the good nutrients from your other foods. Now, nobody wants that. That's clearly defeating the purpose of trying to eat natural and from the wild is to then go and harm yourself long-term. So um, a lot of those, I guess, weeds and non-natives have the potential to do that, Uh, but then there are some that, you know, you could just have a little bit of and have a tea 
or occasionally it might be a case of I'm, I'm getting a cold or that one might boost my immune system, I'll have a bit of that, but I don't need it every day. Uh, so purslane is a really, really common weed that's really medicinal and I'm pretty sure that's not native because it grows absolutely berserk. I picked I picked a little bit from when I was out for a walk and I put it in my garden bed and it is just growing like crazy. And now for some reason maybe it went to flower and I didn't notice it's popped up all through my courtyard and was never there before. So that's interesting. So you've got to watch them. <laughs> they do pop up really easily. Um, so purslane's a good one and there's also the coastal version of purslane which looks nothing like it and has really no major nutritional value compared to the that that version is awesome to pick and make into pickle. So I did that last night. I picked some of the the coastal purslane and I pickled it and it's absolutely delicious. Um, yeah, so it's weird. Like, so they have the same name as each other but completely different plants. It's really bizarre how that works. Um, what other non-natives do I pick? Oh, there's quite a few. Um, I th- I'm not sure. I don't think this one is native. The sea spray or sea blight, uh, there's a spot near me that it's just covering the whole island basically. So it's in complete abundance and it just loves tidal, coastal, river sort of area. So it doesn't pop up everywhere. It's very fussy with its environment, but it's delicious to pick and eat there or take it home and blanch it and it just it's like a salty snack that you'd have instead of nuts you know when you're craving like a salty snack to have at a party or as a side it's like that it's just but better because it's not nuts it's like a plant it's really really cool so I like that one um and then when you're having them and they're really salty plants because they're sitting in the dunes getting all that salt water in them, you, you can leave out the salt that you're adding to a meal because it's so salty already, which is really cool. Um, yeah, there's quite a few. Wood sorrel. Wood sorrel is not native, I'm pretty sure, and it's it's the one that is all through my courtyard now. And it looks kind of like clover, but when you understand how to identify it, you realise it doesn't actually look like clover. It's just kind of got that similar, similar look about it, and it tastes like lemon. It tastes like a zingy really vibrant lemony hit when you taste a leaf so you can make tea out of it and have like a lemon tea with no lemon it's really amazing it's and it grows absolutely everywhere from the hinterland right to the edge of the coast it is everywhere they they cannot get rid of that one but it is useful it's one of the ones i would say don't eat much of because it's gonna be a little bit toxic in the gut if you eat too much um but a few a handful of leaves made into a tea should be pretty safe and really interesting you know mix that with make a cold tea so iced tea with some soda water or something you've got like a half foraged soft drink healthier soft drink for summertime so there you go yeah there's lots of things yeah you just gotta think outside the box and go what could i what could i use this for it's funny because we tend to go oh what could i make that into most of us are not naturally inclined to just appreciate it for what it is and just eat it i think chefs are chefs are more like just want to eat it and taste it and get the texture and the feel and understand it and the rest of us are kind of what can i put that with can i put that in my ice cream can i put that with my breakfast like we're trying to modernize everything so there are ways to modernize it but then there's a point where i really enjoy just trying them and eating them out and about in that environment where I picked them from and getting the true full natural experience from eating that I think if you can open your mind to that and not just take something home and try and cook it the way that you would cook its modern counterpart uh it's a it's a whole new experience it really is it's a it's an experience that people should 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 have once in their life at least 
Yeah, and it's something that you can teach to kids as well. You can take the kids with you on these expeditions. Yes, definitely. I don't allow kids at my workshops because I'm not comfortable teaching this information to kids and then them going away not understanding what I said because I'm talking more for adults and then they pick the wrong thing. Absolutely. But I always say to parents, like, you know, go home and explain to your children in a way that you know that they'll understand it well because you'll know the way that your child listens and learns and comprehends and explain to them the things that you feel are safe for them to eat, especially the ones you can't mistake. If it's one that obviously isn't anything else, like the pig face fruit, that doesn't look like anything else, that's a safe one. A lot of people get their kids to go and pick um, because that one is clearly obviously what it is, can't be mistaken. You can eat it while you're there. You can take it home, take a big batch home and eat them after dinner as a snack, whatever, and kids enjoy that because it's pink, it's pretty, it's interesting. It's definitely good to teach kids about that and then around that safety and um, not picking from sprayed areas and watching for dog poo and glass and things like that. That's that's a whole other element because yeah. <laughs> you're off the path. Suddenly it's not a manicured council approved area, so you've got to look for dangers and, and be really mindful, which is a great thing to teach children is being uh, mindful and aware in their surroundings. Yeah, yeah. So I think older kids, yes, maybe little kids, not so much. Yeah, in minimal amounts, I think, with the little kids, something that you feel that they will take as safe uh, and not, not not mix it up and not go and tell their friends, oh, that berry's edible. Uh, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> yeah, that's the danger there with the kids. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Have you ever had any trial and error yourself where you've eaten something that you foraged that turned out to be a bit crap? Only when I've tried preparing it and it just didn't work. So that fruit that I mentioned, the pig face fruit that I said I just prefer to go and eat at the beach and just eat it as is, I first tried to make it into a dressing. I mixed it because it's salty and sweet. It's kind of got a a 50-50 savoury and sweet aspect. And I thought, oh, maybe if I make it into a nice dressing, a light dressing with olive oil and lemon juice, it'll be nice over salad. Oh, my gosh, it was disgusting. (laughs) Mixed with olive oil was just wrong and I wasted all those little fruits. And I I say to my workshoppers, don't mix it with olive oil because there's no way you would like that. It's horrible. (laughs) Um, Just mix with a bit of lemon is fine. But then why not just have it by itself because it's really nice by itself. Um, and they all kind of tend to agree when we try it in different ways. So like I say to people, don't take my word for it if you want to experiment. But if you don't want to waste a whole heap and have a huge fail, take that advice on board. But always play around and, and see what flavors and, and things that you like. But I've never had, apart from that, I've never had any fails because some of them are just, most of them are just best eaten simply like blanched, or just sautéed and then added to your meal as that. So there's not a lot you need to do with them. The spinach is probably more versatile because it's so bland in flavour. You can just have it in your scones and muffins and frittatas and things like that and do your normal spinach things with it and you can't fail with that. There's there's really nothing that can go wrong there. But the things that have like an odd flavour, that's when you can make a bit of a mistake with mixing it with other flavours that don't work. Um, And I've never gotten sick from eating anything because I've done so much research about each plant. If if there's a little bit of doubt on on a blog or a website where it says, oh, there's been reports of people having this reaction, I'll really take that on board and and go minimal and just start with a little bit and see how I go. Um, And that's something to keep in mind is if people are starting to do this is 
maybe start with one or two plants at a time and just see how you go because like any foods you could be allergic or sensitive um you know people can be allergic to lettuce so if you can be allergic to lettuce you can easily be allergic to a sea green that you've never had before um and it's just important to yeah play around with just one or two at a time and, and work out how it feels for your body because there's no testing from a naturopath for those plants, unfortunately. <laughs> Not yet anyway. <laughs> don't have a food panel for forage trees. No, no. There you go. Give me something for the future. <laughs> so speaking of safety, while we're on the topic, how do you make sure that what you find hasn't been sprayed with some sort of nasty chemicals or pesticides? That's probably my biggest challenge. Uh, the... You know, there's been reports on the Sunshine Coast of of uh, unknown sprays, so where whistleblowers have come forward and said, oh, those areas were sprayed at one point with that really, really toxic Agent Orange ingredient. Um, and then you think, well, I just won't eat there then. But you don't know. And I've had people come to workshops to learn and then they've heard stories like that and they've just stopped foraging, basically. They've just gone, nah, because unless they know that it's a safe privately owned area um if it's a council area they're just so afraid they don't want any of that spray residue uh and i and i completely understand that and i respect that and i i'm careful where i go if it's if it's an area that is near where people are walking and using you know tourist wise and where people are walking down paths to get to beach the paths either side of the paths are going to be kept looking nice aren't they because that's where everyone can see whereas further up in the dunes where no one is and there's nothing there to entice people, um, you, it's really unlikely that there's going to have been a lot of spraying and things. I know that the main weeds that the council are trying to manage have been mostly managed and then the environmental council is also, you know, part of that with pulling out instead of maybe spraying. So I can never be 100% sure but I, I use my better judgment. So if it's an area where I think – they're probably really not doing much here or haven't needed to based on what else is here and what sort of environments it is and how much public access there is, I I might pick from it. And then other spots I think, no, I just won't pick from that. I can identify it to people and say you'll find that further down. But at the end of the day, it's I'm completely running running the risk of being poisoned because I'm choosing to eat from nature where it's – regulated by the council and I don't necessarily know where they've sprayed and what they've used. So it is definitely, definitely a concern, um, even even just on people's verges in front of their houses. If, you know, you know your neighbours don't use chemicals now, you don't know that previous tenants and residents haven't used chemicals and you might be picking from their front lawns and telling them about weeds and plants and dandelions and no one really knows because it's not a regulated thing. So that, yeah, that's, that's probably the trickiest thing around it is but then if you if you meet people that have land and you can chat to them about what practices have been used and you feel that it's safe and you can see that there's some things to forage for and they let you that's probably the best the best way unfortunately it's either private land or public land that's really all you can choose from um and you do have to be careful in some states and territories there are laws around what you can and can't pick because of native even with foods like mussels and, and pippies in certain places can't be picked. Up here we can get 50 pippies each and I've heard in New South Wales you can't get any but you can get cockles. So you've just got to read your local laws and make sure that you're not picking something that isn't allowed to be picked because it's native and maybe endangered. 
um, because you don't want to get in trouble for that if you can avoid it. So, yeah, there's a few things like that, unfortunately, to have to be mindful of. Yeah, that, that's why yeah. it would be good to do one of your workshops rather than just try and do all the figuring out for yourself. Yeah, it saves a bit of time and effort. And I still say to people, if this spot could have been sprayed, I can't tell you that it wasn't. Uh, but guess using your better judgment, using your gut instinct and, and eating minimally and then the rest of my time I'm eating really clean. So I'm not too worried. It's also a mindset factor. I'm I'm really positive about what I'm doing and I feel really good about what I'm doing and I'm grateful for it. So that positive mindset and thinking is probably going a long way to the effects that the food is having on me and that's that's something that I, I like to use for my own personal benefit. So that's something other people might might feel. If you're out worrying about was this spray? Was this spray? Is it going to hurt me? Is it going to hurt me? And you pick it and eat it. Well, you've got all that negativity around it. It could, it could have some negative effect on you because of that. So, it's that positive, positive uh, energy that I put out there for it that I think haven't had any negative effects. And we'll see one day if I get any results back that are negative. <laughs> I should be okay. I look after myself really well. <laughs> I think you'll be fine. Is that why you don't eat forage stuff every day though? That's partly why and also what I mentioned before about not being used to these foods. These are not foods you and I were brought up on and that our close relatives were eating. It was, you know, a lot of these foods were eaten way back many, many, many years ago and not necessarily by our ancestors because if you think about it, like Aborigines would have eaten what was around them at the time, native to them, not even the same as what's in another state. You know, Aborigines in Queensland were eating um, – whatever was around them that doesn't grow in other parts of the country naturally because of the environment, then they wouldn't have even been having access to everything that's even just native. So you've got to think about our ancestry and what our bodies have evolved to get used to and eating something from the wild that's maybe really high in certain things can just so easily conflict with our gut and our digestion and other things that we're eating and consuming it's just really important to be aware of that. Uh, so that's that's a big one, not being used to the foods. Plus some some in more than maybe a cup worth at a time can just have instant ramifications where your gut just goes, whoa, I don't like that. Like I was chatting to a, a forest school friend of mine up here at Karoi who takes kids out for bushwalks and they do identify and try some bush food sometimes and the one of the, the one that tastes like lemon, if you eat maybe say around a cup or so of that, you can really feel it. And that's probably for an adult. So if a kid's eating that much, they're going to feel pretty sick. And she said one day on a bushwalk, a little one of the boys was really enjoyed that flavor. And they only, only just tried it. They weren't picking it to, to consume it in large amounts, but he kept picking it and eating it on their bushwalk. And he said later on, he had a tummy ache. And so that was his limit, clearly, with a few leaves on his bushwalk uh, because he was not used to that plant. So everyone's going to be different. Everyone's going to have different responses to these foods that they're not used to. Uh, it could just be where you're at with your health at the time that these new foods just do not work for you, um, starting small then working your way to more larger quantities maybe. Uh, I, I did that anyway because some of them are so strong in flavor you don't need much of them. Some of them aren't that tasty, so you don't really want to eat much of them. <laughs> some, some are hard to find, so you just don't eat much of them. Like, there's just different reasons for different plants. Uh, but the council council spray factor doesn't really affect me eating them often. It's just more what those foods can do because I'm not used to them and, and the certain nutrients or um, toxic factors that are in them. Just like eating too many. If I eat too many nuts, my tummy doesn't like it. So if I eat 
something that's high in oxalates that's leafy green, my tummy's going to feel it as well because I have a sensitive gut with that sort of thing. So, yeah, I just sort of understand that. And I always put that in my notes. So if I'm out looking for a new one and I think and I look in my notes and go, well, that one's apparently best in small amounts, then I'll only just pick a little bit. I won't overpick because I can get pretty greedy when, I, <laughs> when I'm out foraging. It's just so fun. I want to get more and do more and eat more, but less is actually sometimes more. <laughs> Yep. And then you go home and you incorporate a lot of this, these foraged foods into what we would call a primal diet. Mm-hmm. So can you just tell our listeners a little bit about how you eat, like what you eat, what you don't eat and why? So I follow a mostly paleo way of eating. I don't tend to use the word diet because it has such a negative uh, meaning around it, but um, I sort of avoid certain ingredients most of the time so not strictly it's not an everyday thing for me it's just a probably 90 percent i eat paleo which is no grains no dairy because dairy doesn't work well for me i can really tell that straight away uh no legumes um no really refined oils and sugars like i don't cook with vegetable oil and canola oil i cook with more pure fats like tallows and coconut oil olive oil things like that I use cleaner salts, so more mineralized, more natural salts, a lot of vegetables, fruit, um, quality meats, and not just meat, but quality meat, grass-fed as often as possible, organic produce as often as possible. Um, if I'm having dairy or something, it might just be sometimes because I feel like a treat and I know that I'm okay on that. And and that's sort of, that's sort of what is the base for my diet. I eat bone broth and gelatin, which really nourish me. Um, so I can try and fix all the health problems that I've grown up with. Um, I'm still in a healing state. So the, the way I eat is because I like it and it's healthy now, but it's it's also going to be healthy for the future and it's helping me heal from the past. So there's a lot of reasons why I eat like that. Uh, and then these foraged items just add in that element of like lifestyle. It's a lifestyle factor because I'm out in nature, I'm walking, I'm squatting, I'm moving, I'm looking, I'm picking, and then I'm eating. So it's like from start to finish, that was all me and all nature and I love that that's very very primal to me and some of the foods are fun to eat some of them are interesting and they just they work so well with with that way that I eat because it's not like a a normal store-bought custard and then I'm having forage greens on the side like that's such a contrast and I don't eat like that I'm trying to eat as natural as possible so you probably could mix those fruits in with a normal custard and it would taste really interesting like that's if that's what people want to do go for it but I tend to eat more natural and simple yeah (laughs) Yeah. and so how how has eating this way impacted your health you mentioned that you're still on a bit of a, a healing path yeah, I, I think I was born with a lot of issues. You know, looking looking back when you start learning more, you can make sense of your history and why things were the way they were and why you are the way that you are and all the sort of symptoms that I go through. I mean, childhood I had crazy symptoms like really tight muscles and really easy sort of um, bone and joint injuries that were just not normal for my age, lots of tiredness, lots of major PMS um depression things like that that just were not really normal oh when I was even little I had all the the gut related issues like the ear infections tonsillitis those sorts of things which I now know are related to gut health not directly the ear and not directly the throat but deeper problems in the gut and I had all that growing up and then when I hurt my back a couple of times really severely and I was 
down for the count with um, a virus similar to Ross River. I had Barmer Forest virus at the same time as a second very, very bad back injury. I was on all the anti-inflammatories, antidepressants, skin tablets because I had really bad hormonal issues. So I wanted my skin to look better. I wanted the pain to go away and I wanted energy. So I was on supplements, antidepressants, anti-inflammatories, everything that I now know was causing me even more harm. So I was sick, didn't know it, and then took things that I thought were going to help me, didn't realize they were going to make me worse in the long run, which they have, and now I'm just trying to fix all that. So I think I was born with weak bones because I had such – I've always had bad teeth, bad nails. My nails do not grow. I have a lot of hair, but that's different. So bones and teeth, very weak. Um, Low immune system, lots of depression and sort of more long-term chronic things like the hormone issues. And I'm just trying to fix all that now. So getting into paleo was great because it firstly cut back on the inflammatory ingredients and foods. So things that were causing inflammation and pain and making me in pain every day, chronically, just ridiculously, miserably in pain um, for a 20-year-old is not normal. And getting rid of that started helping me not feel so much pain and then starting to include the nourishing healing foods like bone broth, good fats, lots of vegetables. I eat so many vegetables. I do not eat tons and tons of meat. I eat meat three times a day. I love my meat, but I certainly way outdo it with vegetables. Um, All of that has just started repairing all the damage. So the bone broth was probably my biggest, Is I'm I'm the biggest bone broth fan. (laughs) I want everyone on bone broth because it's just so damn good for you. Uh, fixing bones and joints and, and everything, gut and immune system and just it's phenomenal and gelatin uh, have been my two biggest factors. But, yeah, cutting out the things that were causing more problems was crucial and then replacing those with really nourishing foods has been also crucial and my lifestyle is more natural so I you know try and avoid chemicals in the home and um, I'm out walking, I'm, I move naturally, I don't overdo exercise, I have to look after my spine and my muscles and all that sort of stuff because I'm not fixed. This is a forever thing and I just need to maintain and trying to keep moving forward all the time and foraging helps with that because I'm getting fresh air. I'm out moving naturally. I'm walking. My eyesight improves because I'm looking close. I'm looking far. I'm looking at colors. I'm looking at textures. My eyesight needs that because the computer screen is ruining that and I have to have a bit of both. I can't not be away from the computer and I – I need that nature time as well. So, um, and then trying all these new foods is so good for my mental well-being. Uh, it's fun and it's exciting. It feels really rewarding and, and interesting to me. And when you get good at it and you found something tasty or you found a really cool way to use it, it makes you happy. And all that just works together. So that's that's sort of how that's sort of my philosophy for how I want to live is is an overall holistic way of looking at primal and paleo, not just the food, but just all elements of my life but the food is a big part of it um but it's just not the main part of it yeah i think that's such a bloody amazing approach really (laughs) it's just yeah it's so cool to see how you went from being so sick to learning so much of this for yourself like no one Mm. to you went and saw all of this out yourself so that that yeah and it didn't come overnight like clint was probably into it first he was he was sick of feeling tired all the time and he's exercising like he was told and eating the way um, I guess generally dietitians or you know the, the general government guidelines advise. 
and he looked into other ways because he, he's like me. He, he knows that there's better out there and wants to find it, and that's that's us. If you don't have that drive, it is harder and it can take longer. But when you have that, that you've always got that natural instinct and inclination to want to find answers and, and want to be well, and you like a bit of learning or you like a bit of trying new things, you'll, you'll get there so much quicker. And that was him. He was like, oh, I can eat fat. And I can lose weight. What? And I was at, I was at the point of cutting all my fat off everything I ate, low fat everything, which meant high sugar everything. And I was like, took me months to get my head around that. I thought he was full of BS, but he was doing it, and he was seeing results. And he was then convincing, not convincing me, but I, he, you know, he planted the seed. He didn't force me, but he was always encouraging me to try it, and I did. And slowly got I'm a baby steps kind of person so that was that was perfect I eventually got into that way of eating then bone broth saw huge 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 benefits to my health and it just kept going forward from there and um and then the movement side of things was yeah not exercising as much but moving more and that's been wonderful for us we just have never looked back from that and foraging is another aspect of that that just fits right in perfectly and naturally and, and we're kind of ahead of a lot of people with like people go, I love living naturally, but they hear the things that we do and try and go, oh, but I wouldn't do that. Like we sleep on the floor. I wear sunnies at night time. I don't wear sunnies in the day. I don't use sunscreen. I get tons more sun than anyone I know. Like I do all these drastic sounding things, but it's all come from learning and research and trying because I want to get well and I want to live well for me. And I don't push that on others. I just, they're open to listening to it. I'll tell them about it. Um, but it's just, it's like a completely always moving forward thing for me. It's just, yeah, it's so fun. Like, and I feel very balanced. Like you said, when I explained my lifestyle, that that's like a really, uh, good way of looking at it. I just, I feel like a really balanced person. I'm not perfect. I have issues, but I feel like all aspects of my life are kind of at this nice balance. And, and I, yeah, I wouldn't expect someone to get right into the foraging tomorrow because they listen to this and then they're like, boom, straight into it and super passionate and enthusiastic it might be. Most people are really afraid to try something new that sounds so weird and it's this might be a case of, like you said before, it sounds really interesting to you, just like this sparks this little bit of interest in your primal side that you, you want to try and, and it might freak so many people out that, it's better just to start with one thing. What's that one plant that looks really cool that I want to find? And do I like doing this? Do I want to keep doing this? Do I want to include this into my lifestyle? Yes or no? Like it's kind of that, you know, you don't always have to dive right in and be a, a big forager tomorrow <laughs> because it's, it kind of puts people off, I think. And you can start at home. You can look in your own backyard. You can look yeah. in your friend's backyard. You can look in your family's backyard to start yeah. with because you have more control over that. You know what's been sprayed and what hasn't been sprayed there. So you Absolutely. can small steps there too. Yeah, you could use a weed in your garden as a herbal tonic and, and start that way and go, wow, I did not know that that was edible and useful and medicinal and then it's bringing more value to your life and that's just like the perfect place to start. And if you live near the beach, there'll be some really interesting coastal plants that you might want to go find. And if you live in the hinterland or the bush, there'll be something else. You know, I'm always seeing um, stories on TV and on the internet of certain fruits that are in season in certain parts of the country. I'm like, oh, I just want to go there. I want to get a kakadu and get a kakadu plum, you know. And try, just, I just keep wanting to get more and more and more. I'm just loving it. But it just started with one or two plants that were just outside. So, yeah, it can be as small or a bigger deal as you want it to be. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Now, 
I know you do some pretty amazing classes, both foraging classes, cooking classes, and a few other bits and pieces as well. Can you fill our lovely listeners in on what you've got available and where people can find you? Yeah, I'm a jack of all primal, <laughs> that's for sure. A Jill, Jill of all primal. Uh, yeah, Clint and I do a whole heap of different things. Uh, from He does kids' classes and adults' classes outside doing movement. I do the cooking side of things. He just eats what I cook. Don't ask Clint to do a cooking workshop. It just it wouldn't go well. Um, so, yeah, we do camping retreats. We're looking at doing a kids' camping retreat next year with our friend that has a bush school that I was chatting about before. Yeah, we get a lot of people saying that because our camping retreat is adults only with Aussie Paleo Chef from Canberra up here on the sunny coast and we get a lot of people saying, oh, I wish there was something like that for me and my kids and we say, well, this one is not suitable for kids. It just isn't. It's not what our goal was for it but we want to do a kid-friendly, family-friendly weekend away in nature so we're going to get onto that. And um, what else do I do? Oh, my gosh, so many things. Um, yeah, the cooking, like paleo-based cooking for all sorts of reasons, but whether it's kids family-friendly lunchbox foods um, through to specific workshops on gelatin, bone broth, offal. I really, really, really love using offal. So that's something I love teaching people about, uh, the foraging workshops. Uh, what else do we do? Yeah, newsletters with lots of information and fun things. And we try and get in. We promote a lot of local and Australian quality producers. That's a really big thing that we're passionate about is connecting consumers to the quality producers and suppliers. So you know, local Australian gelatin companies, um, where to get good bone broth, where to get good bones, where to get good meat, where to get good fruit and products. And, yeah, we just love promoting Australian quality because that's, that's the way in the future is is product, products on shelves and in fridges. So you might as well choose the best that you can for your family. So we like telling people about that and uh, making good connections. So, yeah, we do a bit of everything. <laughs> I've been loving your Facebook Live recipe. Well, you did an awful one, actually. It was really cool. I did liver. Yeah, I love beef liver because it's the least enjoyable out of all the livers. Oh, and yeah, and it's, hardcore. Well, it's not actually. It's not, I think pork liver is worse, but I haven't even really tried much of that yet. It's, I just I know that beef liver is so, so, so healthy and it has really helped with, with my health that I love telling people about it. So I should do a check-in and see if anyone actually went away from there and tried it like they all said they were going to do <laughs> find out who was actually keeping to their word saying, oh, I'm going to try that, Amy. I bet you didn't. <laughs> I will hope Accountability, that. come on. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I love doing the live. I've decided recently to start doing a weekly live thing on Facebook, whether it's a chat about a topic or a cooking demo uh, on a really easy, simple recipe that I can just show people there and then because some people just need to see it before they'll do it. Um, and then other things are just we need to have a chat about it. Like I chatted for way too long the other week about gelatin, 45-minute live video. Whoops. Um, because there's so much to learn about it. So, yeah, that's really fun to do and get questions from people and answer them for them. And, and I don't know everything, so I want people to ask me things that I don't know so I can find out, you know, and keep learning myself. It's good fun. Love it. Love it. Yeah, you, you can't half tell that you like a chat, mate. <laughs> no, it's a, such a struggle today to talk. <laughs> so shy. <laughs> Terrible. Um, now, you're at, uh, I just want to make sure I've got this correct and I will put links in the show notes, but you're at primalinfluence.com, is that right? Yes. Yep, and your Facebook is at 
Primal Influence. Everything's Primal Influence. Instagram, I think we're still on Twitter, but we don't really use Twitter much. So it's more Instagram, Facebook, and website is where we're at. <laughs> yeah, Twitter's dead to me, mate. Dead to me. Yeah, I'm over it. It's too hard work. <laughs> no one sees it. No, yeah, Facebook's no. good. Awesome. Amy, thank you so very much for joining us on the show today. And I, I hope this has inspired some people. If you're listening to this and you're thinking you're not quite ready to go stalking around in the dunes, uh, but you do want to just adopt a little bit of this, then get onto Amy's page, get onto her website because she does a lot of stuff with normal food as well. And yeah, we just love it. We absolutely Non-scary foods. I can definitely help you with non-scary foods. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today, hun. It's really been a pleasure. Thanks, Jules. Yay. Yay. I hope that interview with Amy Clark will inspire you to look at your surroundings with fresh eyes. You never know where some edible greens or medicinal herbs might be lurking, even in your own backyard. If you liked this episode, please head over and give it a five-star rating on iTunes. That helps us to reach even more people and spread those shiny, healthy vibes even further. And if you're new around here, hit subscribe, and that way I'll rock up in your podcast app every single week. We'll be like best buddies, right? Have a wonderful week. I hope you spend it doing something super fun and super healthy. Stay shiny and bye for now. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.